the categories of church life as a means of review, let me talk about what we talked about last week because we're doing part two this week. We're talking about positives, negatives, and neutrals. And when it comes to church life, every single one of us in here would fit one of these three, one of these three categories, a positive, a negative, or a neutral. And in order to get a better handle on that, in order to get a better handle on that, let me kind of give um, a basic idea of what those definitions mean. Positives are those that do gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons. That is to say that they are uh, people that are uh, trusting, they're supportive, they're encouraging, they want to be engaged in the life of the church, they build bridges rather than break bridges or burn bridges, they mediate conflict. Positives are all about working towards the health of the church. They're good. The good of the gospel is their sole priority, not their own singular issues and causes. They really become a blessing because they want the gospel to win, and they walk humbly in that. Um, so positives, they tend to turn neutrals, who we'll define in just a moment. Positives tend to turn neutrals into positives, and they tend to neutralize the negatives. Negatives, on the other hand, make sense. They are the ones that do ungospel things in ungospel ways for ungospel reasons. They tend to be distrusting, negative, unsupportive, discouraging, divisive. They tend to burn bridges rather than to build bridges. They oftentimes are, have been wounded in the past, and instead of releasing forgiveness, bitterness sets in, and then they set an agenda to, to um, pay back those that have caused some of their bitterness and their hurts. This tends to bring, and church life tends to bring sickness, division, trouble, uh, because negatives if you really look at it, they're more interested in winning their cause, their, their agenda more than they are the, whole, the good of the whole church and the, the gospel going forth. So, so negatives tend to draw other negatives towards themselves, and they also tend to prey on the neutrals because uh, oftentimes negatives become a little bit power hungry, and they want more people to help support their, their particular causes. Now, neutrals, neutrals make sense. Those are those that are not negatives or not positives. They tend to get kind of stuck in the middle. They may not be, uh, you know, a, an official leader, but they also might be more tending to be a follower, and they get stuck between the negatives and the positives, and neutrals will, will gravitate towards either the negative or the positive based upon who their friends are, based upon who they associate with, who they listen to, what books they read, uh, what teachers they, they trust. So positives, negatives, and neutrals. And really the question that we all have to ask is like, well, wh- who am I in that? Like, wh- where do I fit? Now, <laughs> it's funny. I, my preaching professor, as well as my father-in-law, um, pointed me to a book by Haddon Robinson, Biblical Preaching. And, and in that book, he, he defines the way that you know you've preached a good sermon is that everyone can say, that sermon was for me. And I'll tell you, this last week, I had more people that have said, wow, you're really talking to me um, this last week than, than um, I normally have with a sermon. And so that's encouraging, I think. But it also seems to think that this is, can be kind of a touchy issue for people. But the reality is that we all kind of contend towards all of these positions as it relates to our church life. And there's just t- some that tend to be more naturally positive all of the time and more naturally negative all of the time. But hopefully in, in the, the church, as we've gone through the, the pastoral epistles in First Timothy, it's, it's, it's drawing all of us to see in ways in which we have maybe taken on one of these characteristics and hopefully can work to improve those things. So last week, we covered the first six 
because I thought 13 points was too much for one sermon. Um, normally it's three or four points, but uh, last week we covered six. I'm going to run through those six real quick just as a point of review. The first aspect is that positives are positively um, about emphasizing what they are for, not what they are against. See, negatives can tend to take an issue and camp on that issue, and when they camp on that issue, it begins to, it begins to be divisive, and it defines them and it defines the ministry oftentimes on the negative side of things. But Paul says, remind them of these things, and he's pointing back to verses 10 through 13. And in that, he's reminding them to be rooted in the faithfulness of God and the grace of God in the gospel. So remind them of these things. Remind them of what they are for, because negatives tend to be all about what they are against and find things to pick at. So emphasize what they're for, not they're against. Then you direct the conversation. Direct the conversation. Negatives in the church, they oftentimes are in the business of promoting negative conversations. But Paul tells Timothy, charge those, charge the negatives, not to quarrel about words, not to get quarrelsome, not get divisive about words. So you are to direct the conversation because when the conversations aren't directed in gospel ways for gospel reasons and gospel purposes, they, they can become negative and they can focus on the wrong things, distracting things, and then it happens in verse 18. It says it ruins the faith of some. It's basically, he's saying it is catastrophic, is the word there, for ruin. Catastrophic for the faith of those um, who are the neutrals. So... Direct the conversation in a gospel way. Direct the conversation in a positive direction. Thirdly, do your best. Simply do your best. Don't, don't do your best uh, to fall prey to the idol of excellence or to fall prey to the idol of perfection, but you are to do your best knowing that it's your job to, to do your best, but it's God's job to produce the results. So we sweat, but God brings the results. And that's an encouraging, that's an encouraging reminder. Do your best, but trust God with the results. He's the one who's sovereign. Then, study harder. This is based off of 2 Timothy 2.15, the, the verse that all of our Awana kids have memorized by heart. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing, and that word rightly dividing is translated to cut straight. And we talked last week how in our culture today, a lot of people like Thomas Jefferson's Bible, they, they cut a crooked line through their Bible. They, there are certain components within the scriptures that they leave out because it doesn't meet their own agenda or their own needs or they're just indifferent to those things or even blinded by their own blind spots in those ways. So, so we study harder. We study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Fifthly, avoid getting drawn into endless arguments. Again, this is the second time in this passage that he talks about this careful stewardship of the things that come out of our mouth. And we're going to deal with the third one today, later. But avoid getting drawn into endless arguments. This is self-explanatory. When we get sucked into these arguments, it ruins the faith of the neutrals. And it really affects the witness of the church because that disunity stinks to the world around us. And then sixthly, And we ended here, warn the sheep of the wolves. And in this particular passage, Paul names names. He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. These are guys that had swerved from the faith. And yet, um, Paul had excommunicated them at one point in the past in 1 Timothy about five years earlier. But he's now in prison. And so they come back around and they start to want to negatively influence 
the church body again, and they're starting to cause trouble. They're starting to cause negativity. The, the focus isn't anymore on the, the, the proclamation of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. The, the, the focus is on dealing with um, controversies and conspiracy theories and heretical doctrine and all of those kinds of things, and it becomes very disruptive to the church. So there are these wolves, and wolves don't play nice. They walk around in sheep's clothing. So warn the sheep of the wolves, Paul tells Timothy. Now let's jump into our text for today, which is verses 19 through 26, and um, you can follow along as, as I read here. It says, but God's firm foundation stands, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith, love, And peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they only breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we continue on here and look at the marks of of a positive in the life of the church. And we just start right off with with number seven in your notes. (laughs) Number seven says, patiently, or positively rejoice that God is the one who rules the church. Rejoice that God is the one that rules the church, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And this encouragement is, is, has kind of got a two-parter. It's the, the first component of this is the assurance of the faithfulness of God, the comfort of his loving sovereignty. Christ is the one who will build his church. I can't tell you how encouraging this is for me, and I hope it would be for you as well. Just to know that the church's success and forward movement is not based upon how good my sermon is or how good the worship is or how good our programs are or how good our staffing is or or, uh, how good our potlucks are or how pretty our building is. Really, the, the, the church is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the faithfulness of God in which is responsible for the forward movement. Now, we would hopefully as a church do our very best. That's what we're called to do, and we do that, I believe. But ultimately, it's, it's God's firm foundation which will stand. It's God. So that's the first part of this component. But the second part is the encouragement that we have of the assurance of our salvation, that those are, who, who are his are his, that no one can snatch them out of his hand. And that's, it's a very encouraging encouraging aspect to our faith that that our salvation in Christ Jesus when we give our heart and our life to him it is secure in him there's no returns 
a return policy when we give our life to Jesus. So even as we contend for our faith, we don't contend as if the results of that hinge upon us, uh, but as though those results hinge upon God, despite his using us of us to proclaim his good name and his good son in Christ Jesus. So rejoice that God rules the church. This is such an encouragement that Timothy need to know and that I think all of us need to remember that this is God's movement. As we look to reach with the gospel those near to us but far from Christ, we do that knowing that it's God's church and he's the one that makes all real fruit. And Wow, the fact that he uses us is such an encouragement. Eighthly here, um, positively practice repentance. Positively practice repentance. I'll say this a couple times as we go through today. But I would expect with another six or seven points today that that's too much to to, to, all, to absorb for each one of us. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, that one of these six or seven would, would touch your heart. You would take time this week in your personal devotional life to dig into maybe one of these verses and one of these practical principles. Um, but practicing repentance... Is, is one of the central themes to the second half of this passage. And it can kind of sound like an oxymoron, that positive repentance. But you got to remember that as followers of Jesus, we are, we are for people. And sin is against people. Sin is what destroys relationships. Sin is what destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys the church. And so we are for families. We are for the gospel. We are for Christ's church. And so we are for repentance because repentance is the purging of that. And it's what we're called to do. So he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Positive set this example by being those who practice a life of repentance, who practice, another way to say it would be gospel brokenness. We can't be an effective church ministry if we're not calling others, if we're calling other people to repent, but we're not those that live a life of repentance as well in our own life, in our own way. That's what the scripture calls hypocrisy. Because as, as individuals, if we don't repent of our sin, God has a way of bringing about that Um, bringing about that um, need to repent of our sin in possibly a humiliating way. And I think many many of us have experienced that. Um, This is such an important point that he goes in and he gives an illustration. He gives an illustration that we see in verses 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also vessels of wood and of clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable basically the negative and the positive. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's always going to be, and I, I kind of wrestled out loud with you last week. It's like sometimes I wonder, Lord, why, are there, why do you allow negatives in your church? But there always will be negatives in the church, and we talked last week about how it can be an ironic blessing for for the church that there's these negatives present because what that does is it causes the positives and the neutrals to to open their bible to study harder to study themselves self under study themselves approved unto god they 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 can help drive us to 
to look at the Word of God more intently because we do have this tendency to drift over time and we kind of sometimes need extra motivation and negatives can be that. But it says here, back to our text, it says that um, in a great house, that's the church, what it's talking about. And then he says, there are honorable vessels of gold and silver, the positives. And then there are dishonorable vessels of wood and of clay. Uh, one of the commentators has used an illustration that, that makes a sense, makes really good sense, at least out of all of them, this is the one that made the best sense to me. It's a little bit raw, but I think it's effective in trying to communicate what Paul is saying here. And he basically said that, you know, in, in your house, you have what would equate to the gold or silver vessels would be like a, a, a bowl that you would use either to eat out of or a bowl that you would use to prepare food in. This would be an honorable vessel. But then you also have a bowl that you would use in the restroom that you would sit on. That would be a less honorable, I'm not going to say toilet in church, it would be a less honorable, a less honorable vessel. And you could say, well, both of them are, are needed and both of them are necessary in the house, right? You wouldn't exchange those two or interchange them for the same purposes. In the same way, let's say you use that bowl for, for marinating meat and then you put that meat and you put it on the holy grill and you grill up your food and you would use a, a brush, right, to to help wipe that marinate. Well, you also use a brush in the other bowl too to clean, right? And again, I said this is raw, but this is the idea here. Um, you wouldn't switch those brushes out. You know, you wouldn't just throw them both in the dishwasher and then switch them out later. No, you would keep those things separate, right? You would do that because oftentimes, and, and the point here that I'm trying to make is that, that there is cleansing that has to take place in the life of the church. And sometimes the Lord allows, and his sovereign will allows negatives to help with that cleansing process. He just allows it. And despite the, the anxiety, and it's necessary under, again, under his rule and his, his, his ways, it's, it's necessary. Um, but also what he says here and where repentance comes in, he, it, it, if I'll stick with this illustration, which maybe I shouldn't, but um, if you're a toilet, let's just assume you, when you realize you're a toilet, you probably would rather be something else. And a lot of times toilets, it takes some work for them to realize that they need to be something else. And in the church, what happens because of, and we'll see this at the very end of this passage, but what happens with the preaching of the gospel and the healthy relationship of the church, when you have these positives and these negatives dwelling together, you have the negative vessels or the, the dishonorable vessels or the, the negatives, if by God's grace and if by the care of the positives, they can come to a place of repentance and that's what he says here. He says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. And I just, at the core of me, even when I'm dealing with difficult situations, I'm at the core of me, I, I, I do believe, at least I, I approach every situation that negatives are involved and think, you know, if they could just really get a hold of the gospel, they could get a hold of the beauty of what Christ has done, being perfect and being sinless, coming down to a toilet bowl and, and cleansing this place. If, if people could get a, a, a grasp on the beauty of Christ's sacrificial love and life that was displayed on the cross and his shed blood for humanity, if they could get that, then I believe, and, and then they repent of that, then I believe that they would desire to be an honorable vessel and not a dishonorable one. 
I really do. Now there's some, and, and I think Hymenaeus and Philetus, as well as Alexander that we, we saw in 1 Timothy, Paul didn't believe that they would ever be anything but a toilet bowl. And, 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 and he, ended up, he ended up kicking them out of the house because they wanted to stay in their, in their negative posture in the church. But not everyone, and that's encouraging because that's the, the comment that I had from a lot of people last week. They're like, I didn't realize I was a negative. Or um, I don't always think I'm a negative, but I think I'm a negative too much. And um, I'm sorry about that. They weren't saying that to me necessarily, but in general. And, and, um, and, that, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because that's the process of the gospel taking root in our life is that we, we realize that we need to be in this repenting process. And when we think that repentance, which is a 180 degree turn from sin, when we think that that's a one-time event, when we ask Jesus into our heart, we've missed the whole point. Repentance is a, it's a, it's a rhythm. It's like, it, it's, a, uh, it's a, a practice of our lives. And if we don't get into the process of evaluating ourselves, and hopefully that's what happens every week when we come to God's word and we let the word of God shine light into those dark places of our hearts, we then get an opportunity to repent of those ways. So, I'll move on. No more toilets. Uh, number nine, <laughs> ninthly, uh, positively pursue, and this, this works perfectly right out of the repentance. So you, you are to practice repentance, but then you're to positively pursue spiritual maturity. One of my favorite components of Sunday mornings is all of the, all of the uh, toddlers and, that, are, that are noodling around the church like little Tasmanian devils. I love that part of the service. Um, there is all of this energy and it's there and they're zipping around and yes I know we as parents I speak to myself too we need to be careful to teach our kids to be very careful around um, around those that aren't as sure-footed and around our seniors as they're running around that's important for us as parents Um, uh, it's important we probably tell them not to take 14 cookies when they go back to the uh, or we accompany them to the the cookie bar back there but anyway all that to say uh, the the thing I love it doesn't change what I love I love just the energy of the kids I love how they just run around and bring life you know, I love having the kids part of our service coming up here, like Kylie on it and reading. It's just, it's awesome. But when we get back to that, the kids at young ages, they're, they're impulsive. They're really impulsive. And um, it's cute when they're two or three. It's not so cute when they're 14, 15. It's not so cute when they're 23 or 43. And they're still running on impulse. Unfortunately... Unfortunately, that happens too often in the life of, of youth that don't grow out of their youthism. They, they stay and they remain impulsive. And uh, unfortunately, that causes, as they get older, all kinds of problems. If they're always running off of impulse, then, then there is all kinds of the consequences for that impulse as they get older, as we all know, is much more, much more severe. And so they have not yet learned to pursue spiritual maturity. So Paul instructs in verse 22, he says, flee youthful passions. So to be a positive force and influence in the church and the world, young people must learn to take flight. Um, Now, oftentimes this verse would be, and even some of my commentators pointed to this, talk about the importance of taking flight from sexual and sensual desires Kind of like Joseph had to take flight from the, the hot-blooded Miss Potiphar when she grabbed onto his robe. Same kind of thing there. And that's certainly important. Um, and that actually was covered earlier. 
However, in this context, it doesn't seem to be focusing so much on the sensuality and sexuality of temptation, but more to do with something else. And the theologian Gordon Fee, he said this. He goes, when we look at this tense and in the original language, it's talking about youthful passions in the sense of a headstrong passion of youth or the desires that are characteristics of youth. It's more broad than just the sensual. In the other context, it was sensual. But in this context, it's not talking about the sensual temptations. It, it gives us a little bit later what it's calling them to flee. And so um, kind of looking at our context here, that word youthful, it's the word neotes. And according to the second century um, theologian Irenaeus, he, he said youthfulness extends to the age of one's 40th year. So in that context, in that Greek culture, if you were 40 or younger, you were considered a youth. So if you're here this morning and you're 40 or younger, um, I'm going to give four characteristics of youthful disposition. Um, I'm 43, so this doesn't apply to me. But uh, the rest of you 40 and below, this, this would apply to you. You see my smile. Um, all right, so here's just four characteristics. These aren't directly in the text, but they are, are kind of, you'll see where we're going with this as we look at the next verse. Um, first one, uh, the uh, disposition for youth is, would be impatience. Impatience. So this is, can be a chronic sin, especially of youthfulness. And it, it can seem incomprehensible to a, a youth, 40 and younger, uh, to have to wait and be patient. And I don't know about you, but I'm a really patient person until my patience runs out, right? It's like that's the problem with patience. It's, it's all on our own terms and in our own ways. So whether it be Timothy here or whether it be the negatives in the church or the neutrals in the church, um, instead of being impatient with situations, they need to exercise patience. Um, impatience is primarily, I believe, in our culture today, it's primarily fed by a culture that is always immediate and, and um, driven by media. And if you're thinking, I, you know, I think I'm a pretty patient person and you're a young person today, I would just challenge you. I was going to say a week, but I'll just say a day. Take one day. It's summer. You don't need your computer for school anymore. Take one day without a computer, a, a tablet, a cell phone. Don't even turn it on. Just take a day and not do anything that is related to technology and see how your patience may or may not be tested with that. But impatience is a, oftentimes, is a dishonorable, youthful passion. Another one that is a, a, a struggle for many youth is harshness. Um, it can be a telltale sign of a youthful passion, this harshness. And it may rarely show up in group settings. Harshness, I find, doesn't normally show up when people are in a big group. Harshness normally shows up in smaller group settings, maybe with parents, towards parents or with parents towards other people, or harshness towards siblings. Um, maybe we've seen that before. Um, but, but harshness can be displayed in some sneaky ways. It's not always just words. Harshness can show up in, in figures of speech. Harshness, harshness can show up in nicknames given, a look, a tone of voice, sarcasm, an offhanded joke. But harshness is a, is a dishonorable, youthful passion. Thirdly, these aren't in your notes, so if you, if you might not have figured that out, you can write these down if you'd like. But th thirdly is contentiousness. To be contentious, contentious is to, to gravitate towards being argumentative, to fight over everything or anything. Contentiousness can and is a sin of youthfulness. Even if you're not a youth, um, this is where you need to pursue spiritual maturity. 
is to repent of your contentiousness. Because in this kind of context, dogmatism reigns. Dogmatism flourishes. And it's fed by the inability to comprehend or tolerate other points of views. Contentiousness. It splits churches, believe it or not. Basically, the the contentious youth has an underdeveloped ability to listen to words that come out of other people's mouth. And more importantly, a contentious person doesn't realize there's always more going on below the surface and seeing the hearts of other people. They've really forgotten to learn the lesson that God has blessed them with one mouth and two ears because we should listen twice as much as we should talk. So, now, if I'm mentioning these three, impatience, harshness, and contentiousness, and you immediately are thinking of someone else other than yourself, this fourth one's for you. And that is a critical spirit. A critical spirit. It is a youthful, dishonorable passion, a critical spirit, an excessive attitude of criticism and fault-finding, which seeks to tear other people down. Um, It's not the same thing as constructive criticism. Constructive criticism, honestly, if we look at Corinthians and we look at Scripture, constructive criticism is an important part of a healthy church. But construction constructive criticism is always done face-to-face, not to someone's back. It's always done with love as the primary motivator and the tone um, rather than to tear someone down. So the person with a critical spirit, they usually dwell on the negative. They seek flaws rather than seek good. Uh, They tend to complain more than anything. And generally, they have a problem or they complain about just about anything. Uh, They're energy zappers. I'm getting tired just talking about it. They often have, I should be careful because I can slip into this too. They often have little control over their tongue, their temper. Um, they have tendencies to gossip and slander, which Paul says in Romans 1, 28 through 32, are sins worthy of death. So youthful passions here, impatience and harshness and contentiousness and a critical spirit. There's more. Those are just some that I put. The, 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 the scripture gives us four positives to pursue, so I just put those four negatives. But these are a few few youthful desires that need to be fled from. And what's interesting here is that he's calling us to flee. And the reason he's calling Timothy and others to flee from these things is because that is where we will naturally go. We will just naturally go that way. But then he says you need to pursue. Where you won't naturally go, you won't naturally go towards this next list. You have to pursue it. In the same way that you have to, like it said in verse 22, you have to intentionally um, cleanse yourself through repentance. You have to intentionally pursue these positive traits here. And he gives four of them. And one is to pursue righteousness, which means basically you, per- you positively pursue what? Jesus has already positively produced. He's already produced righteousness, and we just have to positively pursue what he's already produced. We pursue faith. This is a combination of both belief and trust in God. It's simple. It's it's characterized by the life of the positives. The church needs to see women and men that are full of faith and trust implicitly and faithfully in their Lord to pursue it. We have to pursue love, pursue love. In the context, it seems like he's obviously talking about love for people. And when you can hear, you could hear the pain that Timothy's going through with the church that he's dealing with in Ephesus here. And you could hear Paul saying, pursue love. Yes, they're a pain. Yes, they're a toilet bowl. But pursue them. We'll see that more in the verses to come. Pursue these things. 
They're saints. They're just a little dirty right now. This is what positives do. They love others despite others' failures and weaknesses, primarily because they realize that they have their own failures and weaknesses. And then the fourth pursuit that he says is just positively pursue peace. Positives bring peace and not drama. This is a huge thing. Positives bring peace to a context, not drama. 1 Peter 3.11 says, great verse to memorize, seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. One of the great problems with controversial topics and useless babble is that it's really tempting bait, especially in this context for young men. And it's also in the context of 1 Timothy for young women as well. If one seeks peace and pursue it, they must throw water on the embers and the, the fire of foolish, foolish, ignorant controversies that you know will breed quarrels. All right, so now look back at the end of verse 22, and it says this, along with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. So number nine is pursue spiritual maturity. Number 10 is pursue spiritual maturity in community. And this is one of those verses that honestly, um, the, the first outline that I put together, I totally missed this. And then as I was going back through, I'm like, wow, that's like one of the most important components. And I almost just didn't even include it. And, and, and it's, it says this, basically, you are to pursue spiritual maturity, you're to pursue love, you're to pursue peace, you're to pursue faith, you're, to pursue, you're supposed to do these kinds of things in the context of other loving believers. Not alone, not by ourselves. But unfortunately, that's the approach that too many people try to do. Is they, they try to pursue spiritual life and vitality on their own. And I can just tell you, I can tell you, I don't know of a single person that is a healthy, positive influence in others' lives and in the church life that, that lives on an island, that doesn't have other spiritual community in their life. And so, since we've been on this topic of youthfulness for just a moment, this is so important, I think, for anyone in here who's younger, who would be a neotes, uh, 40 or younger, uh, anyone that maybe is looking to develop friendships, the friendships, maybe they're looking to find a spouse, or maybe they're with someone now that may be their spouse down the road, um, or maybe it's just, you know, a close friend. But regardless, are these people... Um, are these people that you can pursue spiritual community with, spiritual maturity with? Is this someone that will, with you, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, and pursue peace? I mean, if you can walk hand in hand with those kind of things, that is a strong spiritual community that you have there. And of course, this is, I can't go through a, a sermon without somewhat mentioning our, our small groups, whether it be a small group Bible study or a growth group. Um, so imperative to what the purpose of these groups are. We want our groups to really develop healthy spiritual friendships. That's really the goal of those groups. And healthy spiritual friendships are friendships in which we are honest with one another, where we can repent with one another, where we can pray for one another, um, where we open the word of God up together. These are healthy spiritual communities. And so all of this kind of leads to ask really two questions. These aren't in your notes, but I think are important. Um, really two questions, and, and one of those questions is, who are the positives in your life? Who are they? We all should know who they are. We should seek them out. We should spend time with them so they can rub off on us. 
We should get into a small group or a growth group setting with them. Who are the positives in your life? Who are the ones that when you're with them, you are, are encouraged and you walk away a little bit lighter on your feet? And the second question is, who is it right now who needs you to be a positive in their life? Who needs you to be a positive in their life? It could be a spouse. It could be kids. The reality is that no one else is going to do that for them, most likely. But who is it? These people need positives that don't run on impulse, but are all about growing spiritually, who care about spiritual maturity. Who is that? Chances are that God puts you in that relationship so that you could be the honorable vessel in that relationship and not the dishonorable one. Who are the positives God's put in your life and who right now needs you to be the positive in their life? Eleventhly, it just rolls off the tongue. Positively be kind-hearted. Positively be kind-hearted. Again, this is coming right off of the honorable, dishonorable mention and illustration have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies third mention of this have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone this is the the third time obviously in this passage that paul is calling the positives to avoid conversations to avoid language that breed quarrels Um, in verse 18 he's saying that this type of talk it ruins it's catastrophic to the faith of some, and he's speaking about the neutrals here. Now, a great passage to, to, to dovetail with this is, is 1 Peter 3.15, and it says this. It says, but, but in your hearts, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who would ask you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it. Yet do it with gentleness and do it with respect. I think a lot of times I have a tendency to present a defense on an issue if I'm talking with another Christian that maybe can leave out the gentleness and respect part. I tend to be a little bit better when I'm witnessing to non-believers, but in the context of church life, I want to push my point. It's a little bit easier for me to do that. Uh, but he says to be kind-hearted, and the reason why is because of, of um, the need to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Negatives, they're normally negative, but the positives, when they get sucked into these negative situations and, and conversations, they can lose their cool. And that's pretty easy. I'm guilty of that from times. They lose their head. They get sucked into these useful passions and uh, get um, destructive. And Paul exhorts Timothy and the positives to be kind-hearted. How important that is. Twelfthly, positively suffer patiently. Positively suffer patiently, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I'll stop, start able to teach that component there. A um, lot of description, uh, talk about what that means, but bottom line is, able to teach here is you're able to you're able to share the gospel you're able to share the hope that is within you if you had 30 seconds with somebody and that was all they had you had with them you could tell them about what jesus means to you that's really what it means patiently enduring evil last week we uh, started our sasquatch ycc community church softball team where the sasquatches i'm still not sure if it's plural or not anyway we're the sasquatches 
And um, I may have overdone it a little bit because I'm still sore and it's been a week. And I've, we got to play this afternoon. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but I had a new experience last week. Coach Mike put me in his pitcher. I'd never pitched before. Even all my little league years, never pitched before. And uh, what I learned was it, was it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. A lot harder. You see, it actually, though, wasn't hard to throw strikes. As a matter of fact, I threw strikes every time. Um, unless I didn't want to throw a strike, you know, if I was trying to throw off the batter and get them to swing at some bad pitches. But every other time, I threw strikes. The hard part about pitching was when the umpire didn't call my pitches strikes when they were strikes. He called them balls. That was the hard part. I think I remained intact in my sanctification when he called my strikes balls. But it was difficult to do that. I mean, I was painting the corners like the best of them, uh, but he would call them balls. Anyhow, that being said, I bring that up because that was, I was suffering through his injustices in my life. <laughs> and if I was to share with the Apostle Paul how I was suffering in this context, I'm pretty sure it would be worthy of a throat punch. Uh, because when we look at our culture today, and I'm quite sure that if Paul was present, um, he would really push us hard on our affluent, comfortable Christianity that we have in our culture today. I mean, we are so blessed that we're able to be here and worship together, open God's word. I mean, I read about another church yesterday in India that was shut down, and they're just shutting them down left and right. Government's going in and just shutting and closing them down. We have it so easy and so good here. And for us, suffering is when someone cuts us off in traffic or when an umpire doesn't call our ball a strike or strike a ball. It was a strike. When, when we face a little bit of drama here and there, that's, that's suffering for us. But Paul, the, the, the suffering he's talking about, he's talking about the evil that is coming from the enemy because the enemy knows that the, the church is a force in the world and it's bringing, it's bringing all kinds of spiritual attack. He's talking about the type of suffering that comes when you, we talk to someone in our workplace about Christ and we're made fun of. We might even lose a job because of it. I know that for you in school, it is difficult to be in school these days and give your honest opinion about uh, any subject, especially a subject to deal with abortion or, or any kind of other, other moral characteristic because you will get graded down because of your conservative stance or your biblical stance on certain things. But that's the type of suffering patiently for evil that Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about our, our, our wimpy Americanized view of suffering. He's talking about suffering for the gospel of Christ. And people say, well, isn't it, it's about your best life now. You know, it's, it's about you achieving the American dream. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have a good smile. He wants you to have a nice car. This is the thing that he wants. And, and why would he not want that? And they point to proof texts that would move in that direction. But why would we want anything less than what our Savior had? And by the way, our Savior died on the cross for us. And so if our Savior would suffer, what are we to say that we, we deserve this best life now and we, our suffering should be some kind of nominal suffering? No, he's talking about suffering patiently against the evil that is around us. And, and honestly, some of, the, some of the suffering that comes into the church from some of the negatives and some of the heretics, God might allow, but I'll tell you, some of those people are, are agents for the enemy because the church is moving in a direction that God wants. And, and he wants nothing more than to utilize, like he did with Judas, uh, an opportunity to send someone in 
to convert someone to his side and then disrupt the entire cart because he doesn't like what's going on. So, so we need to suffer patiently the evil that is in our lives, the evil that comes our way. So important here. So patiently endure evil. Patiently endure when wrong. Um, now, the last point, and I think this is a great, a great bow on this passage. Uh, positively, we want positively positives. They want the gospel to win above everything else. They want the gospel to win. They've already, they're, they're suffering, they're, they're patiently suffering evil. And then here, it says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Positives are positives because they want the gospel to win. They want Jesus' name to go forth, meaning they, they want to see other people come to know Christ. That's their goal. They want people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they want to see the church grow in this. They want to see the church grow in their understanding of Christ, understanding of his word, understanding of his ways, equipped for every good work. And again, that, that passage, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, as always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and do it with respect. As positives, we... We're always looking for ways to, to direct the conversation. Uh, we always want people to see Jesus. We want, to see Jesus they want them to see Jesus because we seek to see Jesus win. Um, yeah, we want to give a defense, and we want to give the defense for the hope that's within us. But we're to do this with gentleness and respect. But negatives, that's not what negatives want. Negatives want to win their own cause. Uh, they, they, they don't want to see the gospel men as much they want to see the advancement of their own issues. So just kind of in conclusion here, I guess the most positive action that you can take is, is to check your ego at the door, or be, better yet, as we know, nail it to the cross, and honorably, gently, passionately, zealously, wisely, patiently minister the gospel in word and deed to the sake of a dying world who needs to know Christ, and that should be the, the main focus of us as a church. So I urge you this week, I urge you this week to take one of these points uh, to tend towards that maybe you tend towards being a negative, and the beautiful thing here is if you were a negative, the passage tells us, then all you have to do is go, go. Give that to the Lord, repent of that. But whatever the case might be, maybe you have to have a conversation with someone at work. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness for the negativity that has been in your own heart, where you've driven quarrels in such ways. But this week, what is it for you? What is it for you to, to pursue the, 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 positive, the positivity of the gospel message in the church. Don't leave here the same as you came in. That's the same as the closing prayer. I'll have the worship team can come up and close us out. And I'll have you stand as we, we pray.